You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Today's episode of the After Chat is brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get the extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment absolutely free when you use our special promo code, BILL. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E Chew. Dot com promo code bill b-i-l-l to try it free blue chew is the better cheaper faster choice and we thank them for sponsoring the after chat hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the after chat i am one of your co-hosts josh chernoff and i'm joined as always by the legendary Bill Apter. Bill, how are you? Well, I guess I would be the other co-host. Yes. Yes, you would. Yes. Unless there's you some get guy top, I have been telling you this about. Week you get, this week you get top billing here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> As the premier co-host. But yeah, it's uh, great. And, and I want to mention to everybody that usually we tape on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. But because of several things that transpired this yeah, week, week, yeah, we are... Uh, taping at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday night. And uh, uh, so it's almost like listening to us live. Yeah. I mean, if you're one of those people who who checks out the after chat as soon as it drops, then yeah, this was like a couple hours ago. So so we should be up to date on the news. Um, And uh, with that, Bill, why don't we just jump right into headlock on headlines? Well, the first headline, of course, Josh, is the death of two major wrestling yeah. icons this week. Yeah, it's a, a tough week uh, for sure. Um, you're talking, of course, about the Dynamite Kid, one half of the British Bulldogs tag team, along with Davey Boy Smith, and uh, and then today we just found out uh, Larry the Axe Hennig, the father of Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, and the grandfather of Curtis Axel. Yeah. Uh, Bill, why don't, you know, you, I, obviously I never had the opportunity to meet either of these people. Um, the dynamite kid is somebody that I definitely studied, uh, his work in the ring for my time in the ring and, uh, was a huge fan of his. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about your relationship with them? Well, my relationship was very strong with Davey boy Smith Actually, uh, I didn't know Dynamite as well as Davy Boy. Uh, during that period of time, uh, is at the uh, uh, the outset of when the magazines were banned, so I didn't get to meet Dynamite Kid a lot. Maybe once or twice during that time. Davy Boy Smith and I knew each other uh, a bit longer, 
and we kept in contact. But uh, Dynamite, uh, the few times I met Dynamite, he was very pleasant, very business-like, had a really great sense of humor. But when I saw him in the ring uh, on old VHS tapes against uh, Tiger Mask oh, in Japan, man. I want to tell you, when you look at that and you talk about um, the uh, like almost the, the birth of that wrestling that you see today with these these guys being so lightning fast yeah Just, yeah he he's yeah. a guy that that his work in the ring holds up and what i mean by that is you know there's so much that you could see of uh let's say like a bruno san martino who was unquestionably a, a enormous star in the business but if you were to show somebody who's just a wrestling fan uh in the last five years a bruno san martino match they're not really gonna attach themselves to it the way that they would today's product. But a guy like the dynamite kid, man, and, and that speaks to what you're saying that that really was, he really did kind of introduce that. He was um, way ahead of his. Yeah. Time. He really yeah, and, was. And you know, one of the things he, he passed away on his 60th birthday, um, which is just, you know, all kinds of upsetting on, on so many different levels. But one of the things that I thought about was of course, you know, his career, uh, was derailed by injury, and you know, there's always been other other rumors or whatnot um, about his, you know, as as we like to call him in the wrestling business, demons. But um, but just thinking about how the time period where Davy Boy Smith was teaming was tag champs with Owen Hart, you know, that time in the WWF, just to think that the Dynamite Kid had it not been for an injury, had it not been for some other uh, health issues. That you could have had the British Bulldogs yeah, at that time. Yeah, that that would have been um, that would have been tremendous. But yeah, you can't you can't uh, when when you mention you know if a fan from today looked at uh, a Dynamite Kid match and a Bruno match, mm-hmm. fans are varied in what they uh, what they like. I spoke to a uh, getting a little off topic here. I th- spoke uh, earlier this week to a thirty year old fan who's watching old Buddy Rogers matches and loving them more than what he's seeing today. But back on topic here. Yeah, no, no, but, (laughs) but, but uh, no, seriously. No, I got you. But trying to put a little levity into the show. Yeah. But but back on track with Davey Boy Smith, uh, a legendary star who really, um, my kid. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I say it's, Davey Boy Smith. You know again, what? It's the British yeah. Bulldogs, and it's very it's, right. That's it's, what I'm thinking. But yeah, I've been we look back, even the tragic death of uh, of uh, Davey Boy Smith. Yeah, he was another one. I mean, the two of them as a uh, as a tag team, I had never seen a team like them. Yeah. And before. while we're while we're talking about incredible athletes and untimely deaths, this is a horrible transition, but unfortunately, is a transition. Um, another wrestler we lost way too soon was, of course. Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, and, uh, you know, and, and that brings us back around to today's loss, um, Larry the Axe Hennig. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, if you can tell us a little bit about, I know we put out a picture on the after chat. Um, it was actually something that you had posted, I think, on Facebook, and it was a picture of you and, and Larry the Axe uh, doing an interview. Doing an, ap- doing an after an chat. An after chat, yeah. Yeah, um, three years ago at the Cauliflower Alley Club. Um Larry Hennig, when I first saw him, it was in photos in the magazine files. He and uh, Handsome Harley Race were teaming with each other. And when I started going in the early 70s to cover the uh, AWA, the Vern Gagne uh, shows there, that's the first time I met Larry. 
And uh, he was a professional wrestler. He wasn't a sports entertainer. He was a professional wrestler. He was very tough. Um, you could tell opponents were hesitant to get in to the ring with them because everything he did looked like a shoot. It really did. Mm-hmm. Um, how much and of then it do when you he, think was a lot of it? Yeah. And then because back then that's how you taught the guys lessons. Sure. But then when he came to, uh, um, WWF, uh, I got to know him, go out to dinner with him several times. And in the last few years at some of the, uh, conventions and especially cauliflower alley i got to talk with he and his wife and there was one piece here that brings a tear to my eye because after they had lost kurt uh there's a chapter in my book about how the ghost of kurt hennig got me to meet uh country music star george Strait, and they Larry was sitting with his wife in one of the catering rooms and they were alone. And I said, I, I have to talk to you about Kurt. I have to tell you this story. And he said to me, I, I don't think we can hear it. I said, it's an uplifting story. Please let me tell you this story. And they thanked me so very much for telling them this, this, so. Uh, this story and Kurt was one of my dearest friends in the whole business. And, uh, but going back to this again, his dad was a professional wrestler and that's his legacy. And, uh, yeah, he he was 82 years, 82 or 83 years old. Yeah. Still, Hey, you know, this day and age still too soon. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and it's one of those things, you know, you're telling these stories and, and, um, it's something I've always kind of felt, you know, I'll read something on wrestling news sites about somebody who's passed and way too many times. I feel like over the years I've, I've sent you a, a text message. Um, and it's always kind of been like a, a you know, I, I feel like, you know, Hey, I'm talking to you about news, but then I have to remember to kind of send you condolences because these are friends. These are peers yeah. of yours. And, and of My course, family. There's guys, yeah. And there's guys yeah. like dynamite kid that, you know, that you didn't know really, but at the same time, you know, this is, it's always been referred to as a fraternity. You know, if you're involved in this business and you know, one person, you kind of know them all. It's kind of, you know, everybody was up and down the road together. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing well, let, for let fans. Me, let, me but... ju- let me just say something with an asterisk here regarding dynamite kid. When I was in England the last time, maybe four or five years ago mm-hmm. in one of the dressing rooms, uh, he, he came in in a wheelchair uh, and he knew it was me hmm. and he looked at me and I didn't know he would know who I am. And he says, Oh, Bill Apter, how are you doing? You're still with that magazine. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I never forgot that. Never yeah. forgot that. And we certainly will not forget the dynamite kid or Larry, the ax Hennig. Uh, and there's really no, no good way to transition out of that. Um, so we'll just, we'll just do it. Um, let's talk about raw Monday night raw. Um, yeah, their ratings uh, not not going the direction that they want them to. No, and you and I talk like the next day mm-hmm. after Raw, uh, the following day, and I said something to you that uh, really bothered me about this week. Let me get to what I lo- liked. Well, let me. Okay. Yeah, you can do what you like. That's only going to take. Don't, a wait, minute. wait, wait. You you don't take what I didn't like. You don't take 
someone you're building up. And this is, I'm not Mm -hmm. a booker. I'm not, I don't know what they have in mind. But the last few weeks, they've been making Drew McIntyre a monster Mm -hmm. among men. No, they've really been pushing to get him over as as a monster character. And he was, he really was. And then this thing this past week, this past Monday night, when he and Ziggler uh, had their little feud Right. You can't take a guy Ziggler's size, in my opinion, and zigzag a guy Drew McIntyre's size and almost knock him out and make him crawl uh, and expect people to be afraid of Drew McIntyre as an opponent. Right. It, it, I agree with you. And it was just just a throwaway. There was nothing about that. They could have taken the opportunity if this was going to happen and really try and build a breakup between the two and, and a big match. But, you know, it seems like they never get behind off Ziggler in that way. And, and, you know, look, I, I understand there was, you know, interference, I guess, from Finn Balor, but not to an extent that this should have cost Drew the match. It, it's just, again, it's an example. You look at it and Drew is the only thing I can really think of on the show right now that's being done right. And then you turn around and it feels like they're screwing it up. And well, I talked with someone today um, who watches wrestling every week. He works at a local restaurant in Elkins Park, probably about 25 years old, and he he watches every week. And he told me that Raw this week seemed very long, but he's still very uh, involved in the Seth Rollins-Dean Ambrose feud. Yeah, that makes one of us. Um, I have I, My feeling on that is like, they again this is something that could have just been this could have been a blood feud this could have been so real it could have felt so real and instead you know last week they had this ridiculous uh, uh doctor's office thing where where Dean Ambrose is getting all, all kinds of uh shots yeah, and th- yeah. it was it was ridiculous it wasn't funny it was obviously supposed to be funny but it wasn't funny and i also wonder why was it supposed to be funny this guy's not He's a maniac. Be, right. So it was just terribly done. Then this week he comes out as, you know, dollar store Bane from Batman. And I don't know if you get the reference, but if you Google it, um, the character of Bane, who's a bad guy from the Batman movies, uh, he basically Dean Ambrose was dressed like a knockoff version of him with this jacket and the and the gas mask. And I and so much so similar to the fact that he had to have been meaning to look like that and again it's like what are you doing and like it was just it just should be a beat em up feud yeah it should be they should have really? an issue and then really? i have another another issue with this which is something that i'm going to uh be bringing up next week on my so says Chernoff special on uh youtube.com slash the after chat just to throw that in there uh That's but okay. it's but it's one thing that i am uh going to be mentioning but i'm going to mention it here for the after chatters as well uh, why are we supposed to be on Seth Rollins' side? Why are we supposed to be feeling bad for him? Are we supposed to be feeling bad because Dean Ambrose turned on him and Roman Reigns and The Shield? Because isn't that exactly what Seth Rollins did a few years ago? Like, wh- yeah, but a I'm, lot I'm, of fans don't remember that, Josh. Yeah, well, they're stupid. Not everybody remembers the history here. This yeah, but uh, just not everyone be... remembers the history. It was a couple years ago. I know, I know, but there are fans who don't remember that history. But I'm just saying that what without all the shtick, maybe is it too long 
between pay-per-views that they have to drag these things out. I, I don't think so, because once upon a time, there were four pay-per-views a year. And you know, once upon a time there were no pay per views, but you get my point. Once upon <laughs> a time there were the the you know the tent pole events, and somehow those stories managed to go just fine between the Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble. Um, you're not even talking about having to wait till the Rumble. There, I don't know. Again, it's you got three hours of TV. They're not utilizing their three hours well, in my opinion, and I, I just. I don't know. It's just, it looks like an, another disaster after disaster. And, and Well, the ratings are showing that, unfortunately. Yeah. And meanwhile, you've got, then they did another, you know, they, they doubled down on the uh, on that awful segment with Bailey and uh, Sasha Banks and Alexa yeah. Bliss. Yeah. Uh, they did it again. This time they actually mentioned the tag titles, which was fun. Um, and a shout out to, uh, to our friend Manny, who mentioned that on Twitter. Uh, that maybe they were listening to the after chat because they listened to so says Chernoff's suggestion. Um, I doubt. I doubt that they did. So um, modest. Yeah. Go hey, ahead. I I'm not the one who said it. Somebody else said it. No, go ahead. Um, go ahead. But uh, but no, I said it last week. I said, why did they not say they need a tag team division? They want to be the tag champions. And then this week they did the whole thing again, and they said it almost as though the week before didn't even happen. It was yeah, just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd, then. I, yeah. I do want to say that regarding Alexa Bliss, mm -hmm. and a lot of fans have uh, posted that Mark Henry on the Great Busted Open show, I mm -hmm. love that show, always has, that he said that she's completely cleared, and we have heard from uh, WWE that she is not completely cleared. She can you know, go into uh, training, maybe at the Performance Center or yeah. some light stuff, I think it was just a miss. not ready. I think it was maybe a misunderstanding from Mark Henry's point that because she was getting he you know she had told him that she was getting back into the ring yeah um, yeah but i but just yeah, wanted to clarify that yeah so she hasn't been uh to our knowledge at this point she has not been cleared fully to return she has been cleared to go into the ring where they kind of take her through a series of of tests they do this for any injury for be it you know concussion or just in general any any injury that they have where they kind of take them through uh at the performance center and just kind of make sure right. things are good. They'll have her doing some roles in the ring. If she's getting dizzy, you know, they know things aren't, aren't great. And, slow it uh, down. Slow yeah, it down so, or, or stop it. And man, there's oh. no, re no rush for her to come back. Her, she has a long future ahead of her in this business and it would be oh, a yeah. shame for her to come back too yeah. soon. So yes. Yes. She's great on the mic too. Now I want to talk about something that's WWE based that I really liked. What's that? I love what they're doing with, uh, Daniel Bryan is he becoming part of the uh, uh, the delete family? <laughs> you know what? I, first of all, I couldn't agree more. I think they're uh, the way he's great at he's this. Fantastic. I never knew he could do this. Yeah, and it's it's such a different version of of being a a bad guy. I know you like to say bad guy, not heel, but it's such a different version of being a bad guy than he was previously as a bad guy because. You know, that was much more comedic, whereas this one, he is just really He's like angry. psyched out. He's, yeah. he's like, he's, he's a psychopath. And here's what I love about it is it's an extension of himself. And he's talking about how he feels about these people and their, their plastic bottles and disrespecting 
uh, you know, how they're they the eating meat and and the methane that goes into the atmosphere. Yeah, like it's all but right, he it's all him. but he truly yeah, he truly believes it. So, you know, this is another example of just let a guy be a turned up version of themselves, you know. Yeah, I'm, no, he he's he's great. And did you notice how quickly the fans have turned on him? Yeah. Wow. I, and I mean, then this was this is like the most popular over guy there was. Yeah. I think this is the best thing that could have happened for the longevity of his career. Because when he came back, he came back as almost like a nostalgia act where people are just so happy to chant yes again and do, you know, and it, it just wasn't, it, it, it didn't, it didn't No, it didn't work. grab. Yeah. It didn't really and, grab. Uh, but it, what's interesting is, you know, um, I, I mentioned about them stealing something from our show. Uh, there's a lot of rumor going around that they, that someone was listening to the Taz show. Um, and Oh yeah. 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 Because he was like, he, everything he said of, they should, uh, he shouldn't have the yes plates on his belt. He should take them off and he should throw them down. And, and that's basically what they did this week. Yeah. Uh, he threw the, the yes plates down and stuff. So yeah, I, you know, um, Taz was pretty furious in his tweets <laughs> about that stuff. If you if you know Taz and you know I do, and we've had him on the yeah friend show of the show. Before, yeah, that kind of stuff really burns him up. Yeah, but hey, you and know, I can't what? blame him. Can't blame him. Yeah, but at, at the end of the day, I'm just happy for them to listen to him and do something that's better than what they've been doing. So, uh, what else do we have on? on well, our I want headlines? to talk about the uh, the WWE and their UK invasion, so yes. to say. Let's what's talk going on that. here? What's going on here is, uh, as you know, uh, Alex Shane and several other people, my old friend Steve Linsky, and so many other people have really uh, tried to get the old world of sport promotion going again, mm -hmm. uh, to get it on TV. And th the last set of shows they did got really, really good reviews. And I think that them landing possibly a uh, TV deal in the UK, uh, was going to happen. And I think that, uh, WWE has sensed, uh, danger, uh, somewhat from world of sport. Nobody's talking about this part of it. They're just talking about, uh, the WWE UK wrestlers cannot after January 1st compete in most of the federations except partner federations. There, the three or four of them that there are. But I think this has a lot to do with the world of sport because this is taking a lot of the prime talent from the United Kingdom away now david Starr, who is from here actually he's a uh, pennsylvania yeah. guy and who lives over there and who wrestles over there uh he tweeted out you know let them take whoever they want wait till you see who else we've got in the united kingdom uh but yeah this is just like uh and again people expect me to be politically correct and i love to be politically correct yeah you do but but what i'm seeing here is that um, WWE is trying to really, uh, take over the UK scene and I can see why, and I understand it, but, uh, they were just having so much momentum with this world of sport thing that I just wonder on the timing, if that's really why this is happening. You know, it, it's tough to say, obviously they've been planning this UK expansion, I guess you could call it. Um, 
for a number of years. You know, this it isn't just popping up now. Um, and then you have to look at it and say, are they trying to steal talent to keep that other promotion down? Or are they just, or does that just happen to be the best talent? And why wouldn't they try to get the best talent? You know? Well, of course. So it, just, it's, it, yeah, and no hard feelings, up. but. But look, if you're, Josh, let's say you're working for one of the uh, UK independents there okay. and you get a call, well, unquestionably, we'll give you uh $35,000 guaranteed per year. What are you making right now? I might not make it too much. I'll take it. Yeah. So, so they're signing the money. Oliver Twist? Is that No, okay. no, no. That was uh, just my, my old British. <laughs> no, Oliver, Oliver Twist was much younger sounding. Oh, that's true. But yeah, but I, I did want to uh, he would talk about more. that. So no, I think it's, thought, a, it's it, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, yeah. after chatters, uh, tweet us at the after chat and let us know what you think about the WWE UK invasion. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's because, you know, they're, they're really, especially with this NXT UK, they're, they're really, uh, invested in that. And, uh, again, I don't know that it's so much just them trying to compete as it is just, coincidental that the other place had the top talent. So they're going to come in and why would you like who would come in and just say, Oh man, they have those top guys there. Nah, we shouldn't even try and get them. Let's just try to find someone else. Like, no, if you can get them, you know, it's, it, it's business. It's business. So well, that's the bottom line is it's what's best for business. Yes. And with that, let's talk about something that's best for your business. And we are of course talking about, our longest running sponsor, Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue, like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Salis, so you know they work. And we've had over the over the months in the after chat a, a number of different characters pop by to tell us all about Blue Chew. Uh, members of the Blue Chew crew. Even. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, boy. I never got a spot. Who is this? This is Mac from the Blue Chew Crew. Mac from the Blue Chew Crew. I don't know. M A C K. I'm a truck driver. Okay. Use Blue Chew all the time. Oh. Go to the hotel. Call my baby. I'm tired as hell in the hotel. She slips me a Blue Chew. Hey, you're talking about what's best for business? My business works fine. Well, Mac, that's because you know, as a truck driver, you're aware that you're pulling over random times which is great because you can take this anytime day or night and even on a full stomach and since they're chewable they work up to twice as fast as a pill wait a minute wait a minute you mean i can stop at the truck stop have a big steak have a lot of gravy and potatoes and i can take one of these here at that time too i don't gotta wait for my girl yeah i mean i wouldn't necessarily recommend that much uh food before uh activity but you know to each his own um but more importantly than that and mac i think you're really gonna like this blue chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package so nobody else has to know about it uh there's no in-person doctor's visits no waiting in the pharmacy so best of all there's no more awkwardness now also as a truck driver you'll appreciate that they're made in the usa and since yeah, Blue Chew, good old USA. yeah, and since they prepare John and ship Wayne, direct, man. that's yeah. I'm not sure he ever used it, but he maybe, hey, maybe if he did, some of those movies would have turned out differently. 
Now, Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, so they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now, we have got a special deal for our listeners, for our after chatters. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment absolutely free when you use the special promo code BILL. You just pay $5 shipping and you can get it absolutely free. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for letting us use your name, man. Yeah, well, he didn't have a choice. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BILL, B-I-L-L, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and as always, we thank them for sponsoring the After Chat. On the road again. So, Josh, yeah, there you, is something I just wanted to bring Mac. up. No, I actually saw him uh, take the elevator down. Oh, I, yeah, I guess yeah. soon he'll be taking the elevator up, if you know what I well, mean. Well, I think the other thing beside Blue Chew, I think Matt needs to invest a little in, uh, um, uh, uh, what was the name of uh, Ice Blue Secret, the uh, deodorant, too. Oh. It's another blue product. Okay. A little stinky under the arms there. Well, but you it's have okay. to imagine. It's okay. So what? here's another thing I wanted to bring up about Monday Night Raw. Yeah. And this really caught my eye. You remember the conspiracy I talked about a few weeks ago that's saying maybe the uh, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks, uh, maybe there's a plan being hatched yeah. to invade Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact when you go to Monday Night Raw and you're sitting in the crowd and you're wearing a T-shirt that they really don't want you to wear, they're going to say something to you and maybe even give you a different T-shirt especially if it's with a competing organization. Right. Did you notice that during Monday Night Raw, a kid stood up shaking his hands and he had a Bullet Club T-shirt on and they didn't just go right away from him? They let your eyes stay on him for just so you knew it was a Bullet Club kid. So I didn't I didn't notice that. Um, I obviously believe I you. Yeah, <laughs> I obviously believe that I it did. happened. You did. And, and you let me know. And look, I mean, that could have – there could be – no story to that at all. They could have just missed it, you know. But just in case. But just in case, hey, maybe you heard it first here. Yeah. Um. Maybe, maybe they looked at that and said, uh, "Yeah, those guys are coming over soon anyway. Who cares?" Or maybe they looked at it and said, "We don't feel like getting the crap that we're getting from uh, <laughs> from people if we make that kid change his shirt." Or maybe they looked at it and said, hey, those guys aren't coming over, but wouldn't be the end of the world if people were talking about it, you know? Or maybe I'm just overreacting. Yeah, there's a chance that's happening too. Good chance. Good yeah. chance. Um, just, so yeah. I'd like to jump into today's topic. Um, and I've been very excited about this. And you've been a little bit like, I don't know, is it interesting? Does anyone really, really care about this? But I think people do care. I think the reason you feel that way is because maybe you're too close to it. But I think we're going to have a fun conversation. The topic today is the history and the evolution of wrestling news, most notably from print to the internet. And I can't think of anybody more qualified to talk about this subject than Bill Apter. Well, thank you. Uh, um, yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for everything that you did for all these years. You know, obviously people are familiar with you, um, mostly associated with the magazines that are called by lovingly the after mags. Um, Let me stop you've been you right very, there. You've been very clear to say, okay. I was go- don't worry, I was going to say I'm it. Sorry. <laughs> that That you've been very clear that they were in fact not the after mags and that you just happened to be associated with it. A lot of times you were giving out awards. Wait, were... that's not what I was going to say. Oh, okay. 
What were you Do you say? know who um, coined the Josh? I ha- I'm sorry, I have to stop for a minute. My dog is peeing on the pee pee pads here. You want to okay. leave that in? You can leave this. I can in. leave that in. You can leave this in. We're doing a live show. I'll be right back. Lexi is very she's pee pee pad trained. But she's doing this right in front of me. Okay. So uh, I need to go fold up the PP pad. So uh, there. So I, there's this part I, of me that wants to. I'll just talk to the after chatters while you take care. Of I that. will be right back. Okay. So good girl, Lexi. So there's part of me that wants to cut this out and says, "Ah, we can't keep this in." And then there's part of me that is just like, "This might be the best part of the entire show." So we are going to keep that in. Um, and after chatters. Uh, here's what I'd like you to do for me. Why don't you send Bill uh, pictures of any of your dogs going to the bathroom, um, especially if they actually go to the bathroom? That would be that would be really something. But send it to Bill. Where can they find you on Twitter? Um, not at PPPad. That uh, at After One Wrestling. Yeah. So you'll want to send those there. Um, hashtag PPPad. All right. Um, <laughs> I love it. That's two two E's in PP. Okay. P-E-E-P-E. Um, okay. Seriously. All right. Though. We're back. Um, so uh, let's let's jump into it. And I want to talk first. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. You've said that twice. Let's jump into it. We got to come up with another. Let's get to the topic. Let's dive into it. How about that? I like that. All better. right. And we're going to dive athletic. deep here. And we're going to go all the way back. To 1946, where Wrestling As You Like It became the first ever wrestling magazine. That's right. First ever wrestling magazine was published in, as I said earlier, uh, published out of Chicago, Illinois by Dick Axman. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. Richard Um, Axman, actually. uh, He apparently went by, by Dick. Yes, so no tie in with blue chew. So let's keep going. Here. Wow. Uh, and that ran from 1946 until 1955 where it was replaced by wrestling life. Um, now I was one year old when that, when uh, Dick's magazine came out. Yes. So you weren't really a part of that, but it is important to talk about if we're talking about the history of the magazines, this is a guy who, uh, <laughs> he was a co-creator of the earliest wrestling publication, Around And uh, while he was doing that, I found this interesting in my research. From 1951 to 1953, he was the editor of the official magazine of the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA Official Wrestling is what it was called. Now, which gentleman was this? This was Dick Axman. Now, you see, I didn't know that back then the NWA had had an official magazine. I knew they did programs. But I didn't know they had their own magazine. No, and I'll, I'm, you know, I'm just going by my research here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's referred to as the official magazine. And look, I don't know how detailed this magazine was, um, but I do know that in 1953, Dick co-founded Wrestling Stars with Jim Barnett. Um, he he was he was obviously very much engrossed in the wrestling business uh, and connected with the NWA. And it reminds me of some of the people we've talked about over the, the last few weeks when you have your, um, your after chat classics, that there are sometimes these, these names, these people that us wrestling fans are not familiar with, but without them, 
the business could be so, so different. Well, wait, wait, let's back up here because you brought up a name who was one of the people who was instrumental in wrestling down south, mainly the Georgia area, and eventually became a, a, a big part of the WWF, and that is Jim Barnett. Yes. Jim Barnett was uh, one of the greatest promoters and a very theatrical man, too. He was very involved in the theater in, uh, in Georgia, but he was one of the, uh, the great minds and promoters in the wrestling business. He came up with a lot of different angles and storylines for the National Wrestling Alliance, as well as uh, WWF in his later years. Yeah. Have you ever heard Jim Ross do a Jim Barnett impersonation? I have, and I do a Jim okay. Barnett impression you, as we well. Could hear it? Yes. Well, if, for the people who don't remember it, well, ask me a question. If, uh, um, I'll ask you a question. Uh, what, do, what do you think of the NWA? My boy, the National Wrestling Alliance is, is the biggest and best wrestling organization in the world. Now, wait. That's I'm going to take good. this a step further. Okay. Jim Barnett... Um, called me at one point that Vince McMahon was starting his own magazine. Okay. I don't know if I've ever told this story. I don't know. And I met with Jim Barnett in Sam Muchnick's office in St. Louis. It was Barnett, Bob Geigel, who was the promoter in Kansas City, uh, Pat O'Connor, who was a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, a major member of the uh, St. Louis Wrestling Club, and Jim Barnett was telling me, Val, I don't know how much you like staying with Stanley Weston, but if you play your cards right, uh, Vince McMahon's talking about starting something. If you, you play your cards right, you might get a call. So a few weeks later, I got a call from Jim Barnett. He was working for WWF, and he said to me that they've started their own magazine and that Vince would like to offer me the job as uh, editor or one of the editors. And then he told me what it would pay, and it was less than what I was making with Mr. Weston, mm -hmm. but that's not the reason I didn't take it. The reason I didn't take it was because I'm always loyal to the people I work for and work with. That's I've true. always been like that, always been like that. But that's something I've never taught. It's not even in my book. Well, I'm glad you shared that with us because that's actually well. It ties into the magazine. Absolutely. Yeah. See, yeah. and this is what I told you. It's not always about the topic. It's about the stories that can come from the topic. But you mentioned Stanley Weston, and that was something that I wanted to to talk about. Um, well, go back. You mentioned Wrestling Life. Okay. Uh, who was the editor of Wrestling Life? Was that Bob Saber? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Okay. Okay. I know that was in 1955. Is when Wrestling Life. Started, but why do you ask? Uh, because I think I remember um, historically uh, seeing covers of that magazine. Okay. Um, so back to Stanley Weston, though, um, who you've mentioned in the past that he was your mentor. Um, how and my much boss? He was your he, well. He was your boss and your mentor, right? Am I using? Yeah. Am I saying that correctly? Because I believe absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we get into how you uh, became connected with him, he obviously spent. Uh, he was very, very big in both wrestling and boxing magazines, um, and and um, police 
magazines. He used to draw covers for uh, there was the there was a magazine on the newsstands, and I forgot the name of it, mm-hmm. but it was a uh, like police confidential or something. And he used to paint their covers, and he did a lot of the uh, painting of covers of Ring magazine as well. He was an artist. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, he. Uh... I had in my notes here that he was an artist and uh, in December of 1939 painted a portrait of Billy uh, Kahn. The boxer, yes. Yeah, that would be the first of uh, 57 ring covers that he did. So, yeah, um, that's interesting because I didn't I didn't know anything about that until I was researching him. Um, and again, I can't, can't stress enough to the after chatters. You've got Google just fire it up and and type in some of the names we're talking about and just dive deep into it because it's really fascinating. If you're interested in, in the history of this business, it's really fascinating to get to know these people. You hear these names just kind of thrown out over the years and you don't realize just the, the depths of what these people did for the business. But going back to uh, let, let's jump forward to pro wrestling illustrated, which was, well, wait, 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 before you go, before you go to that, Stanley Weston um, worked for Ring Magazine. Yes. Um, again, boxing and also the wrestling end. But before anything happened with Pro Wrestling Illustrated, when I was a kid, the first wrestling magazine I bought was Wrestling Review, R-E-V-U-E. And that was Mr. Weston's first uh, wrestling magazine. He did Boxing Illustrated and Wrestling News and people wanted yes. more of the wrestling. And Mr. Weston created Wrestling Review and Boxing Illustrated on a little green table in his home in Rockville Center, New York, where he and his wife were so, I'm going to use the word poor, that all they, they had tons of tuna fish cans in the house. That's all they could afford. And he wow. made his fortune eventually coming out with the boxing and wrestling magazines. But Wrestling Review was the magazine that hooked me into wrestling magazines. That's really interesting. So, yeah, but this is way before PWI. Yeah, oh no, this was this was a good 20 uh 20 plus years before because according to my notes Boxing Illustrated and Wrestling News was in uh the 1950s. Yeah. Um yeah. but in 1979 Pro Wrestling Illustrated was founded and that that is uh the magazine that A is I I would say you are most associated with and and b i think when you think wrestling magazines i think pro wrestling illustrated is the magazine that comes to mind for any wrestling fan out there however however back in the uh, 70s when i first started before there was pro wrestling illustrated Mm -hmm. the magazines that the wrestling fans knew were wrestling review of course which was taken over by another company at that point um uh, Nat Lubay was doing ring wrestling magazine. Well, well, we'll talk about that. But I was taken over by um, uh, Bert Randolph Sugar, who was one of the most well-known boxing writers in the world, and uh, Norman Keitzer and Lou Eskin. And Stanley Weston went on to start The Wrestler and Inside Wrestling, which I thought when I first saw it was garbage because here you had a guy – that was doing incredible work of making wrestling review the prototype for what would become pro wrestling illustrated. 
and the wrestler and inside were like gory, bloody photos on the cover and half naked women. And it was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't the same. And you've said, in, you've feel. said in the past that, uh, Stanley Weston had, uh, uh, almost like a motto of what sold for magazines. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sex and blood. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, so it's not surprising that, uh, that he went in that direction. Um, but not back then, not back in the days no. of wrestling review. He kept it very classy. So, uh, when did you join pro wrestling illustrated? Well, I've been there long before pro wrestling illustrated. Well, no, but when you were working with Stanley Weston, the company was called GC London publishing. Okay. GC London publishing put out, Several boxing magazines, and right? A whole so you bunch were. Of I apologize. Magazines. Yeah. So you were working with you were working with Stanley Weston, obviously before 1979. So oh, you... I started with Mr. Weston um, in early 1970. Right. So when did you were because of the fact that everyone? I guess I I, I wasn't phrasing this right. Since everybody associated you with Pro Wrestling Illustrated, was the setup in the office there kind of? Hey, if you worked for any of the magazines, you worked for all the magazines, or were yes. you assigned? Okay, so you were. No. So you then, worked. as soon as Pro Wrestling Illustrated began, you automatically worked for Pro Wrestling yes. Illustrated. But what we was- didn't just work for them. We we also did um, uh, uh, several other. We did boxing. We did wrestling. We did some puzzle magazines back mm-hmm. then. We did uh, we did a whole bunch of. Uh, uh, one show, we did a roller games magazine hmm. and that wasn't the most unusual thing. I see way back when at the beginning, Mr. Weston, when I first met him, his office was in his house in Rockville center, New York. The bedrooms were like art department stuff. They had layout artists in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, his office in the upstairs room, uh, had three or four people with typewriters, um, Downstairs was uh, his wife and his mother-in-law and his daughter, Toby. Um, And he had people coming in all day and night, you know, talking magazine stuff. Probably one of the favorite things, another thing that uh, you had mentioned that you said, well, so if you worked for this company, GC London Publishing, uh, you were involved in all the magazines. And one time he called the editor, Steve Endy, into his office with me. And he said, I got an idea. We're going to come out with a puzzle magazine about the Bible. And we're going to need pictures of God. And Steve Andy said, well, how are we going to get pictures of God? He said, send Bill. <laughs> yes. There was also a dark room in his basement, which is uh, where I started developing and printing uh, uh, black and white pictures. But, wow. yeah, it was, it, was, it was very exciting because uh, – and eventually, eventually he bought a um, – a building in Rockville center. And that's where the, uh, he had a building constructed a five story, uh, building constructed. And that became the editorial offices were on the, uh, top floor of that building. So WWE magazine, WWF magazine at the time, or originally called WWF victory magazine uh, yeah. for its debut issue, uh, all the way through its third issue, uh, that debuted in 1983. um, you had mentioned last week, and, and some people had complained that they felt uh, they, they had higher expectations for your story about being banned mm-hmm. from, uh, from the WWF. So I wanted to kind of hold your feet to the fire on that a little bit. And since the you, story you is can, what it is. But, but that's, let me back up to Victory Magazine. Okay. okay. 
if you looked on the ribbon at the top of most of Mr. Wrestling, Mr. Whit, Mr. Weston, not Mr. <laughs> Wrestling, Mr. Weston's magazines, there was a little ribbon on the top that said Victory Sports Series. Yes. And WWE, WWF came out with Victory Magazine, and that didn't sit well with Mr. Weston. No, and I believe did he threaten legal action or take legal action? I, I, no, I believe he he um um that there were some letters exchanged yeah. with uh but and back then you know the WWF was uh, Vince McMahon and Howard Finkel and a right. bunch of people sitting in an office and that's there. and and it apparently wasn't much of an uh, an issue long term because by the April May issue in 1984 it was just World Wrestling Federation magazine well so. that's why Mr. Wesson's letters I believe are what uh, legally inspired Vince McMahon to uh, yeah to change it from victory absolutely to, and I've heard that before yeah 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 um so when what was the time period of when you were banned? Would it have been then? Would it have been that time in early no, 1980s? No, the time period. No, the time period when we were banned, when the magazines were banned. Not mm -hmm. just me. It was uh, anyone working for a wrestling magazine. Right. Um, it was during the. Uh, it started really at the end of the Bob Backlund uh, era, and took real heavy effect during uh, the time of Hulkamania. Okay, but, but, but yeah. that would have been, I mean, that would have been 1983. Well, I'm, I'm bad with... Uh, yeah, with, so 1980, with, with, so 1983 is when Hulk Hogan, if I'm correct with that, I'm sure our after chatters let me know if oh, I'm yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, is it when was Hulk Hogan that. beat the Iron Sheik, and Iron yeah, no, Sheik could obviously... Yeah, no, it was before that, Josh. Josh, it was before that. Before, when Bob Backlund was champion. What, well, not not during most of Bob Backlund's reign. Well, he was champion for during, like five years. During... Toward the end of it, which would really. have been 1982, 1983, somewhere there. Somewhere. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. But that okay. So um, that puts a little timetable in there. And how long did that last? When were you? When can you remember being back? Well, when they started, and it was just me. They weren't letting any of the other companies in. When they started around the early part of losing ground during the early days, I can of. Uh, like the Nation of Domination. So uh, the Monday Night Wars, the beginning of the Monday Night Wars. No, it wasn't. It was before that. They were they were they were having uh, uh, characters that people just were, no no it was it was before the uh, it was more like when uh, Farouk was around. I, mm. it, I I'm trying to really put my finger on when I was allowed back a few times. So. Uh, the Nation of Domination, uh, they were a thing in the end of 1996 is when that started. Farouk came in a little bit earlier with his Farouk Assad. Well, they let me they let me start shooting a little bit, probably a year before that. But okay. it was, it was so just nine, yeah, 95. Not not an altogether not back great full year. Time. For, not back full time. Eventually, okay. eventually they started opening some doors, um, to me and some of the other. Uh, photography people like George Napolitano, um, when they were losing, uh, when they were losing ratings and it wasn't really a lot to do with the, I don't think it was during the Monday night wars at that point. They were just, their ratings were really down. Well, the Monday night wars, you have to remember started in 1995. Yeah. Um, bad with frame. Yeah. The, <laughs> you're thinking, I think you're, you're thinking 
Attitude Era, but the Monday Night Wars actually started a number of years before the Attitude Era. So, yeah, so I think it was more or less a ratings issue at that point, um, but I'm just pontificating. What, what, they so would, what, what they were televising at that point was very bland. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it just wasn't catching on uh, with people. So what's funny and, is uh, you know, my favorite time in wrestling would be 96 and 97. I don't... Wait, wait. I, I just, I just, I want to back up a little just okay. to justify something I'm saying. At that point, they started also going into the book publishing business. They had deals for book publishing, and they needed. When I was allowed back, um, we had gotten calls from someone in their office saying, "There's a book coming out, and we're looking for photos." Mm. And at that point, it became a, well, if you want photos. We need right. Bill to back. Bill was not allowed to go to the TV shows. So, so Bill let's talk a little bit about. Sh- wait, wait. So Bill was able to shoot house shows, right. not TVs. So let's talk a little bit about how this affected the wrestling magazines, um, because obviously, you know, you didn't work for every wrestling magazine that there was, but you were with the with the major players. And and what was the uh, temperature like in the office there when? the WWE said, yep, you guys aren't coming anymore. Well, I'm going to say it was the WWF. That's it. Uh, Um, (laughs) Different organization. Um, It was, what are we going to do? How are we going to get pictures? And we talked to a lot of legal people about without credentials, could we shoot pictures? We weren't selling posters. Right. Um, We were reporting news. And we did contact a um, uh, a publishing attorney, and as long as we were publishing news, it was like it's a public event. Mm-hmm. You can go in with a camera, and if you're going to use it for news, you can you can uh, publish this. Now, even However, when I remember going to those to events as a kid, and they would say things like flash photography and all that stuff is just you know prohibited for use of sale or on all of that. Is that something that they did looking at, they were pointing to people don't send those pictures to the magazines. Understand now, I never wanted to embarrass the WWF and I don't think they wanted to embarrass me. So I rarely went, if I went to the shows, I sat in the audience and a lot of times someone from the WWF would come over and to see if I had a camera. And I never brought one to their shows. We did have photographers um, shooting in the in the stands mm-hmm. to get images of like the Hulk Hogan versus Iron Sheik match where Hogan right. won the title. We were not allowed in. So we had somebody there with a 300 millimeter lens in the crowd shooting pictures. So what that did is we took world title status away from the WWF for them banning us. And we started working. We were at that point working very closely with all the other companies. And at that time, the national wrestling Alliance was, um, uh, already being seen on cable TV. So we made them the main focus unless we had older pictures. There were ways to get pictures when there's a press conference, like a WrestleMania press conference or something. Of course. But we weren't invited to them. 
we one of our photographers would walk in and they were not going to make a scene where you can't come in here. Right. Uh, and a lot of the, the wrestlers more so, well, not more so, but equally with the wrestlers, they were very upset by this move because they wanted to be on the cover of our magazines. Well, sure. I mean, you look at it from their point of view. Um, it's fine that WWF is making some money off of their own magazine, putting Hulk Hogan on the main cover, and that's fine. But anyone else on the undercard who knows that they're not necessarily going to get that from a WWF magazine, they're now looking over at you guys, and you have Ric Flair on, and you've got you know any of the, the various other people that were working you know for the NWA. So yeah, I could understand from a wrestler's standpoint, because for me, I knew about the NWA because of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. That Coast was the how, yeah, yeah, that was specifically for me, it was Pro Wrestling Illustrated. That is, that's, that was my, well, I'm going to tell magazine. you, I'm going to tell you something that a large percentage of the WWF wrestlers mm -hmm. would call me and tell me where they were staying at a hotel. They said, bring your camera. And I said, I don't want you to get in trouble. They said, I'm not going to get in trouble. Just bring your camera. And I posed them in there in a room. Yeah. In, in the, uh, in their hotel. But there were guys that were calling me saying, you know, I need to be on the cover of your magazines. Why am I? I said, well, talk to your boss. He, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't want this. So because was, while, while the WWF was making a, a, this big, you know, expansion at the same time, there were just like how I was learning about the NWA because I was growing up in a suburb of Philadelphia. So I was a WWF guy. Um, but I'm learning about the, the, the Southern territories, if you will, because of your magazines. Well, all of these Southern fans who aren't, who, who are NWA guys and they're not necessarily familiar with the WWF. They in turn were learning about the WWF through your magazines. So you oh, remove, absolutely. yeah. So you remove the WWF guys and I know they weren't removed 100%, but you lessen them. These these guys are are not uh, these talents are not getting the the exposure. Well, we had we had large cover lines with a small photo, mm -hmm. a sensational cover line because we couldn't get the photographic images of the quality of the matches we were shooting at NWA and uh, AWA and That's the other and world class. Yeah. So you just made yeah. them smaller. We had, we had, yeah. we, we had to do that. We had to do that. But, uh, a perfect example of the need and want to be on the cover is one time I was in Atlantic city and I had my camera equipment with me. I just photographed a boxing show. And the next day, uh, there was a, a WWF wrestling show that Hulk Hogan was on and I called him and he said, come to the matches, man. He said, bring your camera. I said, I'm not allowed. He says, bring your camera. So I remember he he wrestled in a main event there at one of the hotels, and after the match, he told me to get up on the ring apron, and he starts posing for me and yelling out, you know, PWI is number one, man. And wow. behind him, behind him is one of the main office guys, Gorilla Monsoon, watching Hogan do this. And I found out later on that uh, Monsoon called that into the office, and they were major ticked off at Hogan for doing this, but he was their biggest star. So what are they going to do? Fire him because he did that. But I got six good cover shots out of that set. Yeah. 
the night that he won the the night that he won the title from the Iron Sheik, he called me to come up to his hotel room. And those pictures of him with that original belt were all taken by me in his hotel room. Wow. Yeah. That's a just a different time. You know, when you think about how many images show up on Twitter, uh, every a lot of them of seconds, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But no, I mean, nowadays, all the things that, that show up that it's just, there's so many, anything happens in an arena and instantly you see it online. It's so different. And that is a perfect transition into the second part of this. As we, as we start to kind of wind down the, the, um, this topic, we, we talked about the history, um, in 1995, AOL was becoming a real thing. And I believe around that time, they had keyword WWF. You'd go on AOL and you'd type in the keyword WWF and it would bring you to a WWF page, um, which is kind of amazing because that was really like the first taste of what's now this all-encompassing stronghold on social media that the WWE has. Um well, remember, there was also Prodigy at that point. Yeah, and they would and do that their was Prodigy start, chats, that was, and they would do... And Bob Ryder was a huge part of Prodigy. And I'm glad you mentioned Bob Ryder, because in 1997, a little site called OneWrestling.com began. Um, <laughs> and I, there's not a lot of history on uh, that you can find online, ironically, about uh, online wrestling news uh, sites. But everybody has like their own, their favorite one. And obviously uh, you haven't been shy about mentioning your involvement with, with one wrestling.com. Um, sure. I wanted to kind of take Lee, uh, uh, briefly take our, our fans through um, your transition. Obviously you, you, when you left pro wrestling illustrated um, and you went to wow magazine, it's something that, that had been mentioned. I know you touched on it in the, uh, in the Taz episode, um, and a lot of people have heard that, um, and you're going to be a guest on the Genius Lanny Poffo's podcast, and I'm sure uh, along with when you were a guest on Sean Mooney's podcast recently, there's a lot of talk about um, your career. And I'm, I'm sure on a future After Chat, we're going to dive much deeper into your career. But when you, after Well Magazine... Um, I know that you you worked for a couple of other magazines. There's one in the UK. British. Yes. Yeah. Um, when did you first, uh, I guess this is kind of a multi-part question. When did you first make the official move into uh, internet wrestling news? Uh, and also, before, we, before you even answer that, what did you think about uh, the internet coming out with all, all of these, these news sites while you were still very much working for these magazines? Well, I, I thought the internet news sites were, uh, were, you know, like you said, AOL and we're talking about Prodigy. I didn't mm -hmm. think they were going to go that far. I didn't think anything would uh, topple the magazines. So the transition happened when um, WOW magazine ended um, due to some things that the company did, uh, and they eventually ran out of, uh, steam and funds. Uh, and again, that was a publishing company. It wasn't just wow magazine. They put out a beanie baby magazine. They put out sure. a, a teen magazine, etc. So things didn't work out. So at that point I had been doing some 
freelance work. Joey Styles had worked for us at the magazines at uh, the PWI company, London Publishing. Uh, and I called Joey and I told him, I said, uh, I'm pretty much without a magazine deal right now. And I'm thinking, you said, you don't have to say anything else. We could, we'd love to use you over at onewrestling.com. So that's when I made the the move, still staying with some of the magazines. I know you're not well, great with dates, but when would you say that was? I'm terrible with dates. I can't <laughs> tell you. So when did WOW magazine uh, cease? Uh, I'd have to look that up. Um, we'll, we'll look that up, but it's right after WOW ceased. And then um, I told Joey, I said there's – and he and Bob Ryder were partners. And they created that site. And I told – Joey, that um, I want to try something new that no wrestling site is doing. And he said, what? I said, I have these, uh, this will ring a bell. I have these classic audio interviews. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I was the first wrestling, first guy with a, um, a wrestling based site to put audio and then eventually video on a wrestling site. Wow. So, Josh, I'm going to ask you a favor right here. Yeah. Only because I'm going on the road tomorrow, mm -hmm. and I do not want to shortchange anyone with this topic. Can we pick up from here on the next after chat after we run our classic interview? I think that is a great idea. I, I am enjoying the hell out of this. I really am. I was and right, research, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, and, and, your, and your, your research has been fantastic oh, and that you. you really drew out some things for me that uh i forgot about well i like the idea of making this a two-parter because yeah i was trying to wind things down for time purposes uh and i don't want to do that i'd much rather get uh deeper into the story so yeah i think that's great and what a great transition because you were just talking about your classics uh bill what do we have for them today for now, the well you we're talking about the nwa and one of the guys that we had on the cover almost all the time was the nature boy, Ric Flair. Now, Ric Flair absolutely hated standing and posing for pictures. Never liked it. Always get it in the ring. Once in a while, I'd grab a shot of him. I first met Rick, um, oh, late seventies. And in 1979, I sat down with him and did a 10 minute interview and a lot about his career back, then, etc., and I found the audio tape, and I'd like to treat our uh, listeners, our after chatters, to 10 minutes of 1979 taped at the offices of Jim Crockett Promotions on Briar Bend Drive in Charlotte, North Carolina. Here it is, the Nature Boy, before he even said, whoo! Speaking here with Rick Nature Boy Flair. First of all, Rick, let's get some uh, general information about you. Your background, height, weight, and how you broke into pro wrestling. Uh, I'm 25 years old. I broke into professional wrestling in Minneapolis under Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson. I'm six foot one and I weigh 250 pounds. Okay, now in that area with uh, people like Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson, one would think that a guy like Rick Flair would be uh, brought up into tactics uh, complementing these two gentlemen scientific tactics but when one sees rick flair it's a whole different story it's kicking and gouging how can you explain this well i have to disagree with you there because i don't think you see me gouge eyes or anything like that uh 
I have a fantastic wrestling background, and of course, breaking in Vern Gagne, I have, uh, I have knowledge of every scientific hold that Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson use in the ring. I am capable of using those rings. I are capable of using those holds. I just. Uh, Why don't you? Uh, I do use the holds a lot. Uh, you probably have only seen me wrestle on a couple of occasions, but I use. Uh, I do. I I mainly go out and I'll wrestle my opponent. Now, if I have to get a little rough with them, uh, I get rough with them. But uh, I basically go out there and wrestle my opponents, and uh, I feel wrestling is a real rough sport, and if a guy can't keep up with me, that's his problem. Okay, now a lot of people have compared you with Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Are you proud of that comparison? Um, yeah, I'm proud of that comparison, and that uh, Buddy Rogers was probably the greatest, greatest wrestling uh, attraction of his era. You now think I've, you're better than he oh, was? Yes, yes, I feel that uh, uh, I've reached I've reached the stage where people compare me to Buddy Rogers, and I'm only 25 years old, where he was 35, 36 before they started calling him the greatest. I feel that uh, they're calling me the greatest right now at 25, and uh, I just can't help but uh, probably be the greatest wrestler in the world. People will call me, will undoubtedly consider me the greatest wrestler in the world and of all time by the time I'm 30. Okay, you were just involved in a very serious airplane crash. Would you like maybe to uh, describe your what had happened and your feelings afterwards? about your career? Well, of course, the first thing that came to my mind was would I be able to wrestle again? And uh, uh, the doctor came in and saw me. The plane went down on a, on a Saturday, and the doctor came in on a Sunday and told me that I would be able to wrestle again. And it was just a matter of time before the bones healed and how much work and effort I put into getting back in shape. I consider myself a uh, superhuman spe uh, specimen as far as uh, you know, my physical conditioning. And uh, I've worked very hard, and I feel I'll be back probably six months before the average human would have been back. Will you what fly again, Rick? Yes. Would you? I have flown since the accident. What was the extent of your injuries? Uh, three broken vertebrae in my back uh, in the thoracic area, which is the upper back, T10, 11, and 12, and uh, a broken rib. Okay, let's get into titles now, Rick. You had the Mid-Atlantic title. You've held several other titles. With your injury, they, uh, a lot of the titles that you've wanted have gone to other people and everything. What's your main objective now? Uh, well, I hold the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship, which Johnny Valentine held, and uh, I don't have to say anything about Johnny Valentine. He's one of the greatest of all time. Uh, I consider him even greater than Buddy Rogers. Hey, you mentioned Buddy Rogers yeah. to me. Valentine was a greater for a longer period of time than Buddy Rogers was. And uh, not that Johnny Valentine's done by any means, but uh, I'd have to say Johnny Valentine has influenced my career more than any other wrestler today. How'd you uh, acquire this title, though? I acquired this title by beating Wahoo McDaniels, who, well, Wahoo McDaniels beat Valentine for the belt, mm -hmm. and a month later I beat Wahoo McDaniels for the belt. So I just, uh, I see myself, right now I see that Paul Jones has, has won uh, the United States Heavyweight Championship in a tournament that I was not able to enter because the doctors said that I'd be foolish to go in and, you know, I've lost some weight. and to be, I, did, I, did, I didn't want to go into the tournament uh, unprepared. Uh, although I feel I'm the greatest, I know that uh, a lot of my, a lot of what I do in the ring depends on super conditioning, and I, I was at a little bit lighter body weight, and my injuries weren't quite healed, so I didn't feel I'd be ready for the tournament. But I have beaten Paul Jones on several occasions, and uh, my next goal is the United States heavyweight belt, and then uh, the world belt currently being held by Briscoe. You in TV title right now. Paul Jones last night had given up the TV belt. Are you going to be in competition for this? No. The TV belt is uh, way beneath my... Uh, my standing right now. The TV belt was something that I strived for when I first came here because it was like an order of events. I never, 
I never like to bite off more than I can chew. And now, uh, this is my feeling a year ago. Now I feel there's, there's nothing. Why, why be regressed? I was a TV champion for almost a year. Now I'm the Eastern United States heavyweight champion or Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion, whichever you want to call it. And uh, I, I will be United States champion uh, within the next three or four months and probably world champion by mid-1977. Okay, as I said, Rick, the fans have voted you Rookie of the Year. Now, in your estimation, are you insulted that they're still calling you a rookie? Uh, well, I don't know whether I'm insulted. Uh, is that the National Wrestling Alliance? That no, this is the fans the all fans. over the United States and Japan. This is by their oh, voting. I see. Well, I'll tell you what, I call, I consider myself, uh, and I said this once before when somebody asked me, uh, I consider myself, if you have to use the terminology rookie, the rookie of the century. By being a rookie, I guess that means that you've only been in the business or in our sport for a couple of years, which is true. I've only been wrestling now three years. But, uh, uh, I don't mind uh, any kind of award because you're only given rewards if people notice you. And I think that I uh, probably have more recognition and I'm noticed by more people anywhere in the world that I go than any other athlete in any sport today. Okay, let's talk about your relationship now with uh, a guy that the fans really hate, Rip Hawk. Okay? What, what uh, was your relationship with him? Well, uh, Rip Hawk, uh, when I first came in this area, Rip Hawk uh, took me as his partner. And, uh, do you feel he might have changed you a little bit into more, more of these roughhouse tactics, or do you think you, you were into that before you came here? Well, there you go. You're using the terminology roughhouse. I go out there well, to win. This is a rough sport. Any way you can, it looks like. Well, that's right. Uh, uh, it's a sport where it's dog-eat-dog. -dog. It's, it's like I read today about the violence in professional hockey. People complaining that. But the people mm -hmm. pay to see a winner. No matter how they win, they pay to see a winner, and that's so what So you I don't am. care how you win? I don't care how I win, as long as I win. I like to consider myself a great wrestler. I have great wrestling credentials, a great background, and uh, anybody that has seen me wrestle, I'm sure considers me not only a rough wrestler, but an outstanding uh, uh, scientific wrestler. Okay, a lot of guys in, uh, in this area kind of come on pretty hot bragging that they can beat Briscoe, or if they went up east, they could beat San Martino, or they could beat uh, Bockwinkle now, who's the current AWA right. champion. Is Ric Flair one of those braggarts? Ric Flair doesn't have to brag because everything he has said has come true. When I first came here, I'd only been wrestling a year, and I said that within five months I would be, I would hold one title or another. They recognize three titles, their individual titles, the TV title, Mid-Atlantic title in the United States belt. Well, I won the TV belt in five months. That was one objective. Then I said I'd win the Mid-Atlantic belt. I walked out and I won that. Now I'm saying I'll be the United States champion and I'm sure I'll do that. So everything I've said has come true. I don't consider myself a breaker at all. I know that uh, a lot of people might say that uh, I'm overconfident, but if you live up to what you say you're going to do, then I consider myself uh, the greatest wrestler of all time. What about Jack Briscoe? Have you wrestled him? I never have wrestled Briscoe. Uh, I guess I would have had an opportunity to wrestle him in this, this time that I've uh, been recuperating from my injuries. And uh, unfortunate, but uh, here I am, 25 years old, and anybody else is getting old, I'm ready to go. Okay, you mentioned, uh, we mentioned on Gagne previous. Did you wrestle Gagne at all? Never, never wrestled him in a, in a match. I wrestled him several times while he was training me. And uh, I never felt that, uh, I felt his superiority as far as uh, wrestling knowledge at the time I was breaking him, but uh, after after a month of working with him I, uh, and training under him, I never felt that uh, he was any better than me. Think he strayed away from you? 
Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm down here now. They, uh, as soon as I started to develop in that area, they were looking for a place to send me. And that's the way it's been. People have, uh, people have seen the, the ability that I've had, and the people have dodged me right from the start. I had to almost beg to get the match with Logan McDaniels, literally. And I don't, you know, uh, there's a lot of politics involved in professional wrestling, and if you don't, uh, uh, if you don't get the matches, uh, you don't get anywhere. So you, uh, you know, now, now I've gotten to the point where I've drawn, where I am, a, 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 an outstanding gate attraction wherever I go. It's the promoters are begging me to come, and therefore I'll get the matches because the promoters will force champions into wrestling me. So what did you think? I mean, pretty interesting to hear Ric Flair back in 1979, huh? Yeah, Ric Flair has been an entertaining guy for many, many years. You use the word entertaining. It always bothers me when a guy who's a wrestler as an entertainer. I just can't, I still can't get used to it. But that segment and every week our classic audio is brought to you by Smart Hold. But Bill, what is Smart Hold? Well, tell the app chatters about it. Smart Hold is a message on hold service for only $35 per month. That's right. Only $35 per month. Plus, and this is the best part, Bill. There are no contracts. So let's recap that for a second. Smart hold message on hold service, only $35 per month with no contracts. If you run a business where you place your callers on hold, one of your most effective and least expensive marketing tools is message on hold from smart hold. I don't think a lot of people realize that when you have your caller on hold, you have a captive audience. Replace the radio stations and CD players, which by the way, is illegal. Maybe you have some really bad music that came with the phone or even worse, as we've been talking about, silence. With today's cell phones, placing a caller on hold to silence is deadly. Most callers won't be sure if they're still on hold, if they're still connected. That's right. They'll probably just hang up like you do or I do. Can you afford to lose that call, Bill? No, absolutely not. I couldn't afford to lose that call in my business, and that's why with Smart Hold, we make your callers hold time more enjoyable and informative while the caller's hold time feels shorter. It also makes you sound more professional because with Smart Hold, you get pro voice talent, both male and female, unlimited message changes, professional script writers, broadcast quality audio, fresh background music, music licensing fees, and even a Smart Hold player should you need one at no charge, all for only $35 per month per location served no contracts. So go to www.smart-hold.com and order today. That's www.smart-hold.com. Be smart, get smart hold. And yeah, smart hold again, uh, we thank them for sponsoring us and Bill, I, this has been a, a great episode. I, uh, I love the history of pro wrestling and have loved being able to listen to the stories that you have told on this episode. I am very excited about the fact that this is going to be a two-parter. Well, wait, um, the after chatters might, have, might want to add some questions to this too. Where can they do that? That's a great idea. Yeah, if you have something else that you'd like to add to this, maybe Bill mentioned something and you want him to go deeper into that or maybe uh, something it, it, you've always wondered and now that you really understand the topic that we're talking about, you can reach us on Twitter at The After Chat, on Facebook, facebook.com slash The After Chat, Instagram, not really where you would leave comments, but Instagram 
at the after chat and of course youtube.com slash the after chat and uh oh you want to go to youtube.com slash the after chat for the so says Chernoff tlc special which will be airing before our next episode does so yeah definitely check that out i believe that should be up maybe on and a by Thursday the way night. by the way josh it's holiday time yes my book is still on sale at better bookstores and even worse bookstores <laughs> also on amazon or at www.theafterchat.com Dot com. Also, if you go when you go there, you can click on the link to see our T-shirts for that wrestling fan in your life, and for the kid in your life, Josh. Yeah, you can you can click on the link for uh, Maggie Moo finds a friend, uh, part of the Flufferton Friends collection, uh, and they even have a, we got a little doll going along with that as well. Um, kids are loving them, and uh, they're they're flying off the shelves, so which I'm very happy about. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely check out the afterchat.com. Check out all of our social media. We love interacting with, with you guys and gals and, uh, Bill happy Hanukkah. Well, you too, Josh and Thank uh, you. happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, happy holidays to everybody. And, uh, by the way, if you remember, uh, on our last classic interview, we had the great Pompero Furpo. So I think what you need to do with your kid's book now is Maggie Moo's friend could have been. What do you mean? What is your name? What is a Maggie Moo? So oh, you, yeah. a little, a little Furpo dog. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. All right, Look, everybody. Bill's got to hit the road and I got to hit I the do. bed. I do. A lot of, a uh, <laughs> lot of stuff. By the way, uh, Josh, you will be at the uh, Icons of Wrestling Collector Fest at the 2300 Arena. Yes, uh, I will be there uh, on Saturday. On Saturday, so I guess tomorrow I will be there when people are listening to this. Um, and I will not come be on by there this hello. time. I will not be there yes. uh, uh, this time. Got some other stuff going on that I need to cover. Uh, but I will be thinking of all you after chat is here in Philly, you know? Yes, and I will be there with a camera and a microphone recording some things for our YouTube channel and would love to interview some of our after chatters. That would be great. Yeah. Josh? Yeah, Bill. Is wrestling fixed? I didn't know it was broken. You know what? We'll see you at, at the, the matches. matches.